So it may seem to you that these two readings have little in common with each other. One is speaking of the crushing poverty, long hours and hard work of people living in India. And the other is talking about how we in the Western cultures have made work even out of leisure. I chose them both because both spoke to me. The first moved me powerfully regarding how blessed most of us, not all, but most of us are in this country, really, and certainly how very blessed I myself am. We forget that sometimes or choose to ignore it because we find it so disturbing. The second moved me because I agree so absolutely with it. The idealization of perfection has become a plague in this culture. Let's hear it for chipped China. Chipped ch China. Okay. We don't have to be perfect even in that. <laughs> Both readings have to do with work and wealth, poverty and leisure in very different but important ways. Let's start with the chipped China metaphor. This uh, metaphor especially speaks to me, I think, in part because of an experience I had several decades ago. I had grown up in a family that cared about appearances, not unduly and not in any way different from everyone else I knew, but it was important that the house looked nice, clothes were pressed, shoes polished, hair groomed, and so forth. I took that value into my adult life and embraced it still, nothing at all wrong with it as far as I can tell. My former husband, Evan, grew up in a family that was not nearly as focused on those values as were the people I knew. They were homesteaders and back to the earth kind of people and Evan's mother was either too busy or simply uninvested in, for instance, whether the dishes all matched on her dinner table. Evan always liked a nice house, though, and his brother and sister-in-law, the only other part of the family that lived with us in Elkhart, Indiana, they liked things nice as well. They especially liked nice things. But they were Church of the Brethren people. The Church of the Brethren are Anabaptists, similar to the more liberal Mennonites, both of them peace churches, and churches in which personal wealth is either not valued or kept well hidden. As a Mennonite friend once told me, Mennonites are so very proud of their humbleness. <laughs> and I think that could be said of many Church of the Brethren folks as well. At any rate, whenever I spent time with Evan's brother and sister-in-law, Bart and Nancy, they would every once in a while mention with great admiration a couple whose names I no longer recall, but whom had done something or other that they thought particularly admirable. And, and my husband Evan did as well. And since I don't remember their names, let's call them Jacob and Rachel. So one evening, the four of us, Evan and I and um, Bart and Nancy, were returning from some event or another, a town or two over, when Bart said, we're close to Jacob and Rachel's place. Let's stop and see if they're home. We stopped by, and they were home, and they invited us in. 
after having heard so much about this couple from my in-laws, who clearly lived an upper-middle-class lifestyle and treasured nice things, I expected this would be a couple who had much in common with those values, to at least a greater or lesser extent. It had never occurred to me that they would live differently from the way in which we all lived, but they did live differently. Their home would best be described as modest. Their furniture was old and shabby and did not match. Their china was most assuredly chipped. They were warm, cordial, and hospitable, but people who lived a very different lifestyle than what I had expected. I don't know why it impacted me so powerfully, but it did. These people were beloved and admired not because they kept a nice house, but because of who they were and how they served their church and their community and the world. It didn't cause me to give up my desire for nice china and matching furniture, but it definitely made it a lesser interest for me. I think that's why that unachievable drive for perfection so prevalent in this country a drive that seems to be becoming increasingly relentless and, as Duncan points out, makes, our, uh, makes work out of work, work out of health, work out of sex, work out of education, and work out of play. I think that's why it all bothers me so much. Duncan's book is deep and covers a lot of ground. It explores the place of work as far back as the dawn of humanity when hominids were beginning to spread out of Africa. It delves into discoveries that now inform us that our ancestors had learned to use rudimentary tools as early as 2,500,000 years ago. It delves into religion and our Puritan roots and the Puritan work ethic and so much more. It is a great read. It also discusses the trends that have brought us to the point where we now find ourselves. Duncan quotes Richard Lee and Irvin DeVore, who wrote about early lifestyle, saying, cultural man has been on Earth for some two million years. For over 99% of this period, he has lived as a hunter-gatherer. Duncan says they called the hunting way of life the most successful and persistent adaptation man has ever achieved. So how, Duncan asks, did man, human, ever come to be carrying a briefcase, following a dress code, and pushing buttons on a keyboard? And was it for the best? Once we may have left our work behind. Today we take it with us in our cell phones our devices, our memory sticks, our computers. Our working life is woven, warp, and weft across into the texture of our domestic existence. He then goes on to talk about how unsatisfactory working life in this modern age is for so many people and how futile it can seem for the working poor and ever-increasing ever portion of our population. And this is where I would like to couple my two readings. 
In the first, we have India, where people work long hours in grueling conditions for so little pay they can afford but a cot in a room shared with a dozen others in like circumstances. They do this from young teenage years till they are old or too disabled to continue. In our culture, we have many people working in far better conditions for wages that will afford them far better lifestyles, though at jobs in which their work is never left behind, and business is conducted in the midst of family dinners, social occasions, the golf course, the backyard deck at dusk, and sometimes even in bed late at night. It is work often so structured as to give very little room for creativity and thus meaning beyond how to retain the job, make money, and get ahead. In our culture, too, we have made work out of a never-ending and completely unachievable pursuit of perfection, allowing ourselves, our significant others, and our children little time to just be, to think and wonder and dream without a continual striving towards some goal or another. There may be more leisure time for some of us, though it is rarely leisure time in which work is not consistently and often intrusively inserted. Now it is true that in the India story we are talking of the working caste folks. Those belonging to the upper castes, of course, live easier lifestyles. It is also true that in our culture, though not as clearly delineated, there exists a similar system of workers such as the working castes of India. Here we call it the working poor, people who put in the time and effort and will to make a go of life but who still cannot make a living wage. Our poverty is generally not as extreme and our labor laws mostly prohibit the kinds of hours and abuses described in the reading about the Indian laundry workers. But abuses there are, we know that, even in this country, and they usually are affected against those least able to change their circumstances. Undocumented workers, the undereducated, the downtrodden. I have few answers for you this morning beyond touching upon some of the issues, beyond suggesting that we need to begin thinking about issues of work and leisure and poverty and wealth in our culture and in our world, and beyond telling you that some great thinkers have and are continuing to explore these topics, and that there are some really good books to read if you want to know more. I also would encourage you all to, us all, to tamp down that pesky need for perfection in our lives. I love you folks. And if there are washboard abs among you, I am not aware of them. <laughs> because that's simply not what matters to me. That's not what I love about you. Nor am I interested in whether your bookshelves contain the latest highbrow bestseller or, and I mean this so completely, whether your dishes are chipped or your rugs stained. I do not care if your hair is finely coiffed or whether your socks match. I care about you in the same ways Evan's family cared about 
Jacob and Rachel. I care about what you're made of, of what you value, how you live your ideals, and how you adhere to the principles of your faith, how you make real our covenant and our mission. I hope those are the same things you are interested in about me, because that whole perfection thing is not going to come to fruition in my being. It's not going to happen. So I want us to ease off a little in all that drives us to recognize the essentials and skim away the froth so that we may live more fundamentally, more fully, more richly. On this Labor Day Sunday, I want us to take just a little bit of time away from labor in all the ways that it manifests in our lives and to invest it in wandering and wondering and thinking and dreaming and play. I want us to consider what of our labors really matter to us, those which provide for hearth and home and family, those which further our ideals and our service to church and other, those which open our eyes to new thought, new learning, new ways of navigating the journey upon which we all travel through this life. I also want to encourage us to be grateful for the work that we do that lifts us up and gives buoyancy to our lives. This may be paid work, our vocations, our avocations, our jobs, our hobbies, our volunteerism, our church work, our careers, whatever it is that you do that gives you the resources to live and the will to live and a richness in your living. For those things, let us be grateful.